And we want to be tuned in to those verses. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 is the primary focus of our attention this morning. But let's do a quick review. How you doing in the book of Hebrews? You enjoying it? It's a little thick in places, right? But you're hanging in there? Yeah. Okay. We have spent a, a couple weeks being warned. Warned to not have a hardened heart. Warned three times today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. It was a warning to take care lest there be any unbelief in any of you leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called what? Today. Today is your day to hear from God. You're in today. That's all you have. Don't know that we'll have tomorrow. We hope we do. But we do have today, and you might hear God's voice, and if you do, what will you do hearing God speak to you? Do not let your heart be hardened by the trickery and deceitfulness of sin. That's the warning. Have you had enough of that? Today shifts. As Alex said, verse 13 of chapter 4 says, Everything is open to God. He sees us right where we are. And that could be a very frightening thought. But verse 14 is a very encouraging idea. Today, why should we hold fast to the Lord is because we have things not only to be warned about, but things to be thankful for, things to be grateful for. The blessings that God has given to us are the reason that we should hold fast what are the privileges of being united to Christ? What are the great benefits of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord, of whom we sang this morning, I believe in him. Do you believe in him? I mean, do you believe? Because belief was a theme that was talked about throughout our early chapters. Is belief that's really transformational? Don't fall short in embracing him with all of your heart, why should we? We should be thankful for who he is. This is the point of this text, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. In it, it continues the theme of the superiority of Christ and the new covenant to the old covenant. It continues the necessity of believing in Jesus more than anything else you've ever believed in. And it introduces a long discourse on the priesthood of the Old Covenant and compared to the New Covenant that will go from today all the way to chapter 10. So we're going to be in some of the intricacies of the priesthood over the next couple weeks. But we, before we see this detailed explanation of Jesus Christ being the high priest in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, we should see what preceded it. Because the author of Hebrews is making a comparison of the lesser to the greater. So God spoke in many ways and in many portions through many prophets, 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us how? Through the Son. And all through Hebrews, there is frequently a comparison of what was prior and a shadow of what has arrived and is the superior reality. So there were prophets in the Old Testament, but now God spoke in Jesus. And today, there were priests in the Old Testament who did their priestly work, but now there is a great high priest, right? So in order to make this argument, he says chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, and then when he gets to chapter 5, which I would like to, in an inverted kind of way, look at first. So look at chapter 5. It won't be on the screen, but chapter 5 in making the comparison to our great high priest, says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He, the high priest, can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weaknesses. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. We're going to look at the Old Testament work of the priests and high priests in chapter 5. Now, Hebrews has already made the point that has helped us because we're not accustomed to talking about priests. It isn't in our experience as it was a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, and fifteen hundred years ago when God was working in his nation Israel. And so the book of Hebrews has already taken some pains to describe the work of Jesus and all he has done by starting where? In the creation. So we've already underscored God created the world, the world fell into sin. God gave his law to lead people back to himself. There were prophets who gave the revelation of God. There were priests who made sacrifices to guide the people of God. And we're reading Hebrews in 2021, looking back at all of this history, trying to make sense of it. And it's not familiar to us, the role of the priests. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, tells us a little bit about the whole priestly system And there were priests, there were high priests, they were taken from men to act on behalf of men to help men understand their relation to God. They represented God. They revealed, both prophets and priests, that there is a thing called sin. Do you believe in sin? Okay, the Bible underscores it as an assumption. Most people don't assume that they themselves are sinful. Most people believe everyone is basically good, but the Bible underscores something altogether, and that sin separates mankind from God, so God provided a way to restore man's relationship with himself. These human priests, referred to in the early part of chapter 5, stand between God and sinful men, and they offer sacrifices on their behalf. Sacrifices, which were the 
the death of an animal and the shedding of the blood of an animal to be a substitute covering for sin of humans. And when the animal was sacrificed in the temple on behalf of the sins of people, God would receive that sacrificial offering and turn away His righteous judgment from sinners because of the death of an animal on behalf of sinners and a sacrifice that was made in faith, believing that by the shedding of blood there would be the forgiveness of sins. That's the Old Testament. And that happened in particular for the high priest on what is celebrated today by most Jews as Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, into the temple would go the high priest. He would go once a year on this Day of Atonement. And I want to try not to assume too much knowledge, but do you remember when Jesus died on the cross that the veil in the temple tore in two from top to bottom? Remember that? It was a very thick cloth. And when it tore in two, it opened into what is called the Holy of Holies, the place into which one human being went one time a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The only one who entered there was the high priest, and he did so making sacrifice for himself and then for all the people. It is this offering of sacrifice on behalf of people that was the national day for Israel of mourning and repentance because sins were a big deal to God. Now that's the role of the human author, uh, the human priests. You'll notice in this text, there were also limitations to the work of priests because they were human. So in the Old Testament, when priests entered in, they were human, they were weak, they were sinful as well. The high priest of the, the day was necessarily had to offer sacrifices for his own sins before he went into that place. And eventually, what happened to every high priest in the history of Israel? He died, and then he had to be replaced. And when he was replaced, someone else carried on the elaborately prescribed system of the priestly work of offering sacrifices. All of that, foreign to us today, was merely a shadow of what was to come. It was a picturing of something greater that always in God's mind was coming and is now here, so that when you finally get to chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, Jesus is the one who is greater than every high priest of Israel's history. He's greater because he became the sacrifice that's greater than any lamb that was slain. He is the perfect one. He's the final one. He's the only one, and therefore... We're going to have some admonition to us because that's who Jesus is. That is who you are. What should you do in light of that? So now we get to verse 14. Since then, 
we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Everybody say the last phrase. Okay, same way of saying don't drift, don't fall away, hold fast. There's a warning not to drift, and there's an encouragement that since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, hold fast your confession. We do have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Now, what do we learn about Jesus in this? We learn that he actually is God. He's God, and he's passed through the heavens. What is that to be compared with? Passing into the Holy of Holies. The high priest went into the Holy of Holies, but where is Jesus? He's in the very presence of God. He's gone through the heavens, and he's entered into the very presence of God. And there to abide. He's always there. He's always in the very presence of God. He is there, always in the presence of God, because he is the Son of God. And the sacrifice that he made is categorically different and better and superior to every sacrifice that came before. He offers not the blood of other lambs, but whose blood? His own. So turn to the right in your Bible to chapter 9. Let me show you one verse in chapter 9. and verse 12 that says, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The sacrifice that Jesus made when he offered his own blood is not a covering of sin, but a redeeming of his people. So we have a great high priest greater than any high priest. And I know, you know, if you're sitting here, it's really hard to make a connection to the Old Testament system, but if you were in it and you were one of the Hebrews to whom the book of Hebrews was written, it would really be in your mind that you're thinking about all the great high priests of history and now direct your attention to the one great high priest who has given his own blood and through his own blood he has entered not just the holy of holies no he tore that veil apart and he smashed that opening access to the place where he is seated at the right hand of god you have a great high priest so yeah okay so what should you do yeah don't don't drift in your confession. You pronounce Jesus, you're my Savior. I trust in you. Um, Has life ever pressured you to doubt that, to drift from that? Maybe it just helps to say, I have a high priest who will never be replaced. He is alive. The old high priests died, but this great high priest is the greater high priest than any preceded him, and he's not just in the Holy of Holies, he's in the very presence of God, so hold fast. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest, it gets better, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You want to know more about Jesus? Here it is. You have a high priest 
who is able, to put it in the positive, to sympathize with your weaknesses. We don't have one who's not able. I like that. We do have one who is able. He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Could I just say to you, Jesus is not turned off by your weaknesses. He doesn't shun the fact that you have weaknesses in you. He came for our weaknesses. And in the category of your weakness, what is particularly in vision? Your weakness to sin, which is not a big deal to most people because we don't even think we're sinners, but once we understand who God is, that He created the world, that the world fell away from Him, that He came back to the world to bring the world to Him, and that He paid the ultimate sacrifice of sending His own Son who is perfect in every way to go to the cross and be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, then sin is a deal. Would you agree? It's a big enough deal that God would do that, but it's comforting to know that even though we all are sinners, Jesus is able to sympathize with the way we're tempted to sin. You just let that sink in for a minute. He's human. No one understands as fully what it means to be human as Jesus does. He has complete understanding and he's completely merciful. He can sympathize with every sadness, every sickness, every sorrow, every sin and every suffering that you have tasted in your life. Do you remember that Jesus sobbed at Lazarus' tomb? Do you remember that Jesus was in anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane? And you remember when he looked over Jerusalem and he, he cried and lamented over the condition of sinful Jerusalem? He has complete understanding about our weaknesses, about the dangers of life, the devastating consequences that sin brings to us. When we have trouble because of our weakness to sin, don't we sometimes think, oh, God is, must be far from me? I want you to know and believe in your heart that you have a great high priest who can sympathize with your weakness especially your weakness in regard to sin. He can. He can say to you, I understand. Those are powerful words, aren't they? I understand. Very often when people tell us those words, I understand, sometimes there's reason to believe they might not really understand what you're going through. I saw a counselor a number of years ago to sort out some challenges that I was facing in my own life, and I spent the better part of an hour one session uh, describing what were the complexities I was facing. I felt stuck, and I needed to see things more clear than I was seeing, so I shared my life with him. And he was the sounding board to me in that moment for what I was thinking and all that I was feeling. And after listening carefully to me for that hour, he leaned forward in his chair 
And he just said, I understand. He was older, wiser, more experienced. He had some similar experiences that I had. And when he said those words, you know what I felt? Understood. I felt like he, he gets me. Man, there's just power of encouragement to know you're not alone. Okay, so I want you to hear today the words of Jesus. What would he say? I understand. No, no, you're Jesus. You, you don't understand. Try my life for a while. Really? You're going to say that to Jesus? You should try my life. No, you can't say that to Jesus. Jesus was fully human. He experienced everything that you've experienced. And look what it says. In every respect, he was tempted as we are. Our minds don't want to let that have a place. Wait, Jesus was tempted to lie? Jesus was tempted to be angry, lustful, greedy, grumble? What's the answer? Yes. There's a difference between being tempted and succumbing to temptation. Our Jesus experienced the full range of humanity and yet without sin. Uh, This is a huge theological statement that I just ask you to do what the writer of Hebrews says to do. Hold fast to your confession and believe this. There have been a lot of people who have said of this, um, there's no way Jesus knows the full power of temptation and how strong it can be if he never sinned. Somehow the temptation must not have been full enough for him because I give in pretty easily. But that would be silly. In fact, C.S. Lewis said, it is a silly idea current with people that good people don't know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply doesn't know what it would have been like an hour later. That's why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness because they live the sheltered life by always giving in. Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. I mean, to be under temptation greater and greater and greater and to never succumb, who is that? That's our Jesus. And he gets it. 
He understands. He can sympathize with our weakness toward every sinful temptation. He knows how hard it is to struggle in the battle against sin. He fought it all the way. And so he's compassionate with you if you're stuck in sin. He doesn't make light of it, and he doesn't belittle us in our struggles, and he never gives up on us because we are weak. He sympathizes with our weakness. Can you believe that? That's why the writer of Hebrews says, hold on to your confession. That's who your high priest is. He gets it. He knows all that is about. So draw near. Hold fast. Verse 14 said, hold on to your confession. Now verse 16 says there's something more you can do than just hold on to your confession. And verse 16 says, let's read it out loud together. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's more than you can do than just hold on. What more you can do is draw near to him. Now this verse suggests a couple things which we've already alluded to is that we all have times of need. We're all weak. We're all tempted in many ways. We all need help. But there's something about the human condition that leads us to some other options when we're in trouble or when we need help. We all think of other ways that we could handle where we are. So if you're in trouble today or you're feeling weak or you're under temptation in a great way or you're just under the pile, here's some other options for handling that. Go it on your own. Self-medicate to dull the pain of it all. Or just throw in the towel and live without hope. Or let us draw near with... Come on now. With what? With confidence. Draw near with confidence. Why? Because he gets you. I understand. That's why I went to the cross. You are weak. You are sinful. I do love you. You draw near to the throne of grace. It's not a throne of power here. It's not a throne of judgment. It's a throne of grace. That you may obtain Mercy, not condemnation. He gives merciful, gracious help. He doesn't give help reluctantly. He doesn't give help with regard to sin grudgingly. He gives it generously because he paid it all. All of his life was poured out that all of your sins would be forgiven. So why would you stay away from him? Draw near to him. I mean, turning away from Jesus in your time of need is like turning away from the hospital when you're sick. So he says, come to me if you're in trouble. And we all have it. You see this phrase at the end of the verse, that you may find grace to help 
in time of need? I'd circle that in your Bible. I love that phrase, and I love what it's about. Time of need. Um, I, I, we have a friend at Calvary named um, Pam. She had a years-long battle with cancer. And she finally recovered from cancer, largely. And as she was traveling through her time of need with cancer, she told us near the end of that, um, to being declared healthy, that she said, I always thought before I had cancer of Job in the Old Testament. I thought about all the suffering he went through. And I always said to myself, why didn't Job just curse God and die? Why didn't he do that? You sent so much trouble until I had cancer. And now I know, she said, that Job couldn't curse God because he knew God and God knew him. And his suffering was his time of need. Pam's cancer was her time of need. And whereas she might have looked at someone who's suffering and said, I don't know how they can keep trusting God. In her time of need, she came to understand that there was a throne of grace that was ministering to her through her cancer so that her faith became stronger, not weaker. I don't know where you are in your struggle, in the battle either in troubles in your life or sin in your life, but I just want you to hear this invitation it's very similar to, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. It's very reminiscent to all these other invitations, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Come everyone who thirsts to the waters and he will quench your thirst. Come to him. Listen, I want to ask you today, to come to Jesus and surrender to him and trust him with all of your heart because you have a high priest who not only was the one who stood between us and God, but he was the sacrifice who did that. And he died on our behalf and now he lives forever and now he's seated at the right hand of God and he is calling you today to come and trust him in your life he lives forever in the presence of God, and he understands your pain, he understands your sorrows, he understands your failures, your inadequacies, your sins, your fears, and he sits on the throne of grace, not judgment, waiting for you to come to him and draw near. And it makes sense that in a moment we're going to take communion and remember his broken body for us and drink the cup of his shed blood because Jesus paid it all for us. And now he's the great high priest who intercedes for us and calls us to come to him. What are you going to do? I want to encourage you to hold fast and take a step closer to Jesus. The alternative is to get hard on the inside and say no to God as things start crusting over here. Today is your day. Today is the day to come to Jesus and say to him, you are the high priest who has passed through the heavens. You are the son of God.
and you understand what I'm going through, and so here I come, Lord Jesus, I come to you. Will you say that? Okay, let's bow our heads. And we're just going to take a moment of quiet reflection. We're going to be led just to think about one expression of one prayer of one of our members. Let it be yours. We draw near, Lord. Keep our hearts soft today. I walked in the wilderness by choice. I hardened my heart when I heard your voice. Promised that tomorrow I would change, but tomorrow's always one more day away. I don't wanna live with shame and with regret. To make a promise I will soon forget. A promise that tomorrow I will change when tomorrow's always one more day away. So God, I surrender today. Here I am, all of me. Oh, great I am, you see me. Your word is truth and light. It pierces to my heart. Sever from my life anything that's of the dark. To you, the only way. I surrender today. Before you formed the world, you foreknew the waywardness my willful heart would choose. Before I even had a breath to breathe, you knew you would breathe your last for me. I won't put another nail into your cross because once for all you have conquered death. Forever I'm made perfect by your grace, yet sanctified a little more each day. My God, I surrender today. Here I am, all of me, great I am, you see me. Your word is truth and light, it pierces to my heart. Sever from my life anything that's of the dark. To you, the only way, I surrender today.